welcome to the life and times of Captain Barney Miller. I am Mike White, and joining me, of course, is Mr. Chris Dashew. Hey, everybody. We are talking about three episodes of Barney Miller, which is what we like to do. We're still in the first season. We are talking about Ms. Cop, which aired March 13th, 1975, Vigilante, which aired March 20th, 1975, and The Guest, which aired March 27th, 1975. We knew that we were going to run into the politics of 1975, and we are there. We are right there, starting off with Ms. Cop, getting Linda Lavin in here as the only woman on the force, a special guest coming in, and being treated like shit. Though, maybe not as bad as we think. They lead you to believe that that's going to be the case, and they kind of pivot away from it at the end of the episode, but I think it's a little bit of, like, reality versus expectation with her character, and her, like, feeling like they're treating her like a woman in the workplace. That makes sense? At the time, woman in the workplace. You know, like you said, it is 75. They don't want her going out on any calls, but maybe it was more just coincidence, or maybe it's Barney being kind of pig-headed. And I think he's being a little pig-headed in this episode, until finally she gets to go out with Fish on a call and is able to show her medal. And then after that, the gates just open, and she's able to really show what she's got. She's a great character, Janice Wentworth. I think she's she's one of the more interesting kind of one episode characters that we've had. Linda Lavin is a a good actor. She really knows how to put the screws to all the characters. Her interaction with Barney Miller's wife is also really good. Having a character come in and do something like this to the other mainstay characters, I think is important to a show like this. And yeah, I thought it was very good that Liz comes in and I think she doesn't think that Barney is being bad, but then she kind of sees it and then pushes. It's not like he's being a real a-hole and she calls him out on it. She just kind of gives a push in a little direction, and that helps things out. It's interesting to see the characters kind of do a 180 at the end and really kind of welcome her in there, which in my mind kind of leads me to believe that they weren't just treating her like that because she was a woman. At least I'd like to believe so, but... We're going to see with the next episode that the politics of 1975, they get in the way of my enjoyment of this show. Not so much in this episode, but in this episode, it does kind of verge on that a little bit. It kind of corrects right at the end, but it feels like looking at the next episode and comparing it to this one, maybe they were treating her like that, and that was just the way they are, and they're just you know, we're guys. And it's like, man, that's just such a bummer. I mean, look, I'm not trying to watch it through just 2020 vision, but you can't not in some respects. I found it interesting that Wojo is not in this episode whatsoever, nor is Harris, I don't think. I don't think Harris shows up until the last episode of these three episodes. He's been kind of in and out, which is odd considering how he is billed like everybody else is. I think this is the first and maybe only time that we've not had Wojo in an episode since the pilot when he didn't exist. The first pilot, I should say. Yeah, the first I was say the first pilot, yeah. Yeah, it's it is kind of weird because his absence is notable because again, you know, he's a big part of this show. I mean, I would I would say he's ostensibly like 
obviously one of the main in ensemble cast members, and he's almost a main character. It's odd to not have him around for sure. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's even more noticeable since she sits at his desk. Right, which makes me wonder where his character was, because they do a pretty good job in some of the other episodes of explaining where they are, not so much in this episode. This episode, they don't even say where he is at all. They just kind of gloss over it completely. There's one, and I can't remember which of the three it is, where they say that some of the characters in this might be Harris. They say that they're out of town doing something, and I can't remember what it was. But they give us an excuse, at least. Yeah, I want to say it's in the second episode where they say something to that effect. But, yeah, I think they say Wojohowicz is off doing something. Or somebody's doing something, which, I mean, I appreciate that, but, yeah, like, not addressing it at all is very bizarre in a show where that's one of the main characters. At least that's one of the top build characters who gets their own introduction on the show at ev- on every episode. Other than this whole Janice Wentworth story, though, there's not a lot to this episode. No, there's not. It almost feels like some of the issues with this show that are presenting themselves right now are the limitations of the show. Everything takes place in the precinct. And so you feel like you're missing out on stuff that you're just hearing about. I mean, television is a visual medium and it's about show don't tell. And this show, at least this episode, and look, some of these episodes are doing the same thing. It seems to be tell not show. It's like, I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it. This is a visual medium. Show me what's going on. I don't think you're going to get a lot of that in this show, though. I mean, I know we just went off site for the stakeout episode, but I don't think that happens too often. I don't think so either, which is fine. I mean, if that's the case, then I just temper my expectations now and move forward. But in doing that kind of show, you run into the issue that this episode has, which is it doesn't feel like much. First act, she's frustrated. Second act... She manages to go out on the call with Fish, then she gets transferred, third act, she comes back, and everybody loves her. It's like, okay. And that's it. Pretty simple. There's very little to it, and that's fine. I'm not lamenting how little there is to it, it's just, I want there to be just a little bit more. I mean, the interactions between the characters is fine, and it's great, and it's really good in some respects, but sometimes I want just a little bit more than inter- departmental musings maybe it'll move a little ways but i mean again if that's what this is going to be in its entirety that's fine i just temper my expectations and move forward speaking of moving forward let's go ahead and move over to vigilante which has the first appearance of inspector luger though man he really doesn't need to be here he doesn't do a whole lot other than just give a lot of monologues that's like his job in this episode Yeah, he's just monologuing a lot. But that's not the big problem with this episode, is it? So there's a cross-dressing character, and it is played for laughs the entire time. It could have been really hateful, and they don't go hateful, but it's definitely not very enlightened. It's very much played for laughs, and there is definitely... A confusion of gender and sex roles. In 2020, even, I mean, this show came out in 75. I'm not expecting them to be able to 
deal with this in a way that's respectful. I mean, because we're even having a hard time dealing with it in 2020. Hard time people understanding what this means to be transsexual, uh, you know, someone who cross-dresses, someone who has gender identity issues. Like, we're still dealing with that as a society in 2020 and how to, like, be respectful. And this show just, uh, I mean, look, I guess I'm not sure it's any fault of the show, really, right? I mean, it's taking place in a time and era, similarly to the last episode, that they I mean, they, they were still making jokes like this in the 90s. I mean, it's not a condemnation of the show of, as a whole, really. It's just sitting here in 2020, boy, it is. It's not great. It's actually pretty bad. Yeah, the line about where he got his shrapnel because he has two purple hearts. That one was like, oh, okay, you're making a castration joke. All right. I get trying to play it for laughs. I get going in that direction being like oh he's a truck driver because that's like one of the jokes that always comes up with crossdressers is that they're truck drivers there's that dichotomy between oh he's a truck driver but he's also a crossdresser and he was in the military but he's also a crossdresser i like to dress in women's clothing you a fruit no not at all i love women wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them you're not a fruit no i'm all man i even fought in ww2 of course i was wearing women's undergarments under my uniform and the show keeps going to that well over and over again. And maybe in 75, it didn't feel tired. But in 2020, it feels tired. The thing we said about Ms. Cop is that there wasn't necessarily a lot of stuff going on. This episode is completely the opposite because we've got the crossdresser story. We've got Inspector Luger coming in and pontificating about the old days. And then we also have the actual title of the episode, the vigilante story, which is that somebody's been going around and shooting people, beating people up, and what is going on with this. And then we end up finding out who that is. Though I, I like when we find out who this guy is, that we also have kind of a red herring for me. I thought that Mrs. McBee was going to be the actual vigilante, or maybe she had picked up the mantle towards the end. The appearance of Martha Gibbs, most people would know her as Florence from the Jeffersons. It was such a pleasure to see her on this, even in such a small role. Yeah, no, she's great. And Tito Vandis is, is good as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that are good in this episode, but anytime they go to that tired joke, it, it doesn't, it, it hurts the kind of rewatchability of the episode. I like that they kind of let him go at the end. Because it seems like he's, you know, I guess he's mugging mean people. Yeah, it's kind of a weird attitude for vigilantism. But, I mean, this is way before, well, a few years, let's say, before Bernard Getz. This is before um, Death Wish. So it's not like he is being too mean about things, but he's outside the law out there punishing people on his own. Yeah, if he wasn't a, a, such a cute old man, then it would probably be a different story. And they make it obvious as such, because at, at one point, towards the end of the episode, they essentially absolve themselves of trying to track him down. They're like, oh, it's a man who speaks Russian that smells like chicken. It's like, that's not the character at all. But they're doing their part to make sure that he doesn't get punished for for being a good guy, I guess. Because they were taught they talk about that in the episode. They're like, you know, what about the 
vigilante who punishes bad people. Like, how do you deal with that? I mean, it's a fair question. I mean, it's an interesting question for a show like this to ask because it is kind of an interesting conversation to have about vigilanteism and taking the law into your own hands, but not in the episode where all they do is poke fun at the cross-dressing character. Maybe another episode, but not this one. Because, like, anything interesting that the show might have had to say about them and turning a blind eye to vigilanteism really gets lost in the shuffle. And yeah, the the whole that he doesn't like the chicken farm and that he smells like chicken and that he brings them chicken. It's almost like him bringing them the chicken is almost like a little bit of a payoff kind of thing. Like, here you go. Here's this chicken. And then they look the other way. But yeah, whatever. I'm not going to quibble because yeah, I'm not going to say, oh, this was so wrong. Because, yeah, he is out there punishing bad people. But you shouldn't do that on your own. You should leave the law to fish. I want to mention something that we didn't get to mention about the last episode. Speaking of taking things into your own hands. I do like Barbara Barre's character. At the end of the last episode, her and Barney Miller just banging in his office. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They are literally fucking in Barney Miller's Miller's office. Pretty implicitly. Good for you. Go at it. Yeah, that whole theme of her going to all these different classes and the classes affect what happens afterwards. Yeah, that was nice. And she's just like, oh, what's this one? Sex. All right, uh, no phone calls. And you're just like, yeah, man, like sex in the workplace. Okay, like you're the boss, so you can do whatever you want. Bang in your office. Seems like those walls would be so thin, though. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like Like he has glass windows in his office. Like they can hear through those glass windows. Come on. They're going at it. But, boy, I would take the last episode over this one any day of the week. So what did you think about the third one, which was called The Guest? It felt like the most complete episode of these three episodes to me. I agree. It kind of reminds me of the one where Fish got his mojo back a little bit. I guess because there's, like, a threat to the guys in the precinct. They managed to make Wojo ingesting enough arsenic to kill a normal person into a joke. So kudos to them, which was fantastic. Yeah. And they also bring back Marty Morrison, played by Jack DeLeon, which is great because he was a good character the first time. He's, I mean, look, he's a gay character and they don't really know how to handle it. And that's fine. But they handle, somehow they managed to handle the gay character with a little bit more tact than the cross-dressing character or the female cop, which is bizarre. The same way that they let the cross-dresser go in the previous episode, this one, they make a deal and Barney manages to get him out of trouble, which is nice. And then he is also what he's trying to get information out of um, our the, the titular character, the guest, who is uh, Herb Edelman, played by Alan Schuster, who is one of these guys where you just have seen him in so many things. And he's just got a great face. I really like him in this episode. Everything that he's got to say, I think, is very funny, especially the way that he keeps running off about all the different people that were in or invested with the mafia and who have gone missing and he's like the last of the witnesses and they're trying to protect him so it's a different spin for a barney miller episode we haven't necessarily seen somebody who's a protective witness before 
you know, Herb Edelman is a is a fantastic actor. He he brings some comedic urgency to the episode because, like you said, there is this threat to all of them by just because he's there. And then you have Bojahowicz being poisoned. So, I mean, that's interesting. It's it's different. Like you said, it's the thing with the bomb. That's what it reminded me of. I'm assuming that's the same episode you were talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that that's what it reminds me of a lot. And you have kind of one of their own coming under fire. And then you have Marty back in the precinct. And he's kind of talking about how he's marrying a woman because, you know, she's older than him and it's for the money. It's an interesting episode because, again, if they had handled the cross-dressing character or the female cop character the way they handle the gay character in this episode, Marty, I don't think I would have had as big of an issue. But I don't understand the disconnect. I mean, I know it's different writers, maybe not this early in the show's run. I actually think it's probably the same writers for at least these this first season. But, you know, the way they handle the Marty character in this episode, he's an integral part somewhat of the episode. And I just I don't understand that disconnect between this character and the last two episodes. I do have to thank you for the poise and grace that you just, I mean, it wasn't necessarily an outright connection, but you said that the actor's name is Herb Edelman and the character name is Alan Schuster, and I had screwed that up. So thank you for not taking me to the carpet for that one and just saying it the right way so that I said, oh, that's right. Herb Edelman is the guy that I've seen in a a thousand things. Oh, I just, uh, I'm not going to, why would anyone do that? You would be surprised. Why would anyone, I would not be surprised. That's the sad part. I wouldn't be surprised by anything anymore. It's 2020, folks. I'm not surprised by anything anymore. I will tell you something, though. The show does suffer without Ron Glass. Yeah. Right? When he shows up, he really brings a spark to it. It's like they're firing on all cylinders when you finally have all of the guys in the precinct. Oh, it it totally does. It totally 100% does. And that's... Why I like when Ron Glass is there, when Gregory Sierra, and I know Gregory Sierra is pretty much done with the show pretty quickly, right? I don't think he's, I want to say he lasts longer than we think. Okay. I, I, cause I remember reading on the wiki show ran for eight seasons and five seasons, five, no, ran for seven seasons. I think he's in like two of the seasons, maybe two or three. And this first season, we're almost done. I mean, we're almost done with the first season. There's like three more episodes left. So. There's still like 150 episodes, 160 episodes to go. So I know that he's not in it a whole, whole lot more, unfortunately. I mean, like you said, maybe more than we think, but still. He was in it in 35 episodes. So we're good for a little bit. And Ron Glass, you know, I mean, again, like with a show like this, when it's not the kind of show like the ones that they do now, where like a character leaving the show is a big deal... They kind of play fast and loose with the characters. I mean, so much so that we we haven't seen Barbara Bari in some of these episodes. She's she's credited. I don't think she, we see her in the Vigilante at all. She doesn't show up in the Vigilante, but she's credited in the opening credits for the show. The show suffers without her. The show suffers without the entire quote unquote ensemble cast in the precinct as well. And plus, you know, I mean, you always have Abe Vigoda, which is fine because Abe Vigoda is like the best part of the show. So. I was really glad to see somebody that we really haven't talked about at all, which is Milt Kogan as Officer Kogan, (laughs) who showed up in the last episode and he showed up in this one. He's the guy that brings the real sandwiches to the precinct. 
Oh yeah, and that that whole scene is really interesting. Yeah, no, it's super it's super funny because you have that like, oh, you know, it's just a sandwich. That's what he said. And then it's like, oh, here are the sandwiches like, oh Jesus. And that they actually do detective there you go, Chris. Here's some actual detective work yeah, when they that. go, Oh, hey, there was that telephone repairman that we saw in the episode. So it wasn't just a you know, somebody saying, Oh, there was a guy here this morning fixing the phones. It was a good episode, like I said. I mean, when they have kind of all the pieces together, these episodes are really good. I mean, they're really smartly written. They're really well acted. The ensemble cast work between the precinct is really good. I can't say enough good things about when the show is really firing on all cylinders, it's really firing on all cylinders. Next month, when we talk about Barney Miller, we're going to have an episode directed by my old pal, Alan Barron, who directed a lot of Kolchak episodes. I'm curious if we're going to see a difference because, yeah, Norm uh, Pitlick, I think it is, directed all three of these. And then in the second season, he's back and he's doing like all but just a handful of episodes out of the 22 episodes next season. Oh, that's why. That's why. I was saying, you know, you're saying that Chano isn't around too much. He's the first season is just 13 episodes and yeah. then you get 22. So there you go. There's all of Chano right there. Yeah. He's only in the first two seasons of the show. That's what I thought. I mean, this was a short order for the first season. I'm excited to see where the director of Kolchak takes it. Hopefully there's no invisible space monsters. Well, it's going to be interesting too, because I don't know how much necessary direction you can do on a show like this when you're doing the whole film in front of a studio audience though there were a lot of times during these episodes where it sounded even though they were supposedly doing in front of a live studio audience where it really felt like i was hearing a laugh track or maybe they were just sweetening it with a laugh track i honestly didn't realize it was filmed in front of a live studio audience i guess that makes sense but yeah it doesn't feel like it Maybe it's not. Maybe they're just adding the laugh track to make me think that it is. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. All of the cameras come from the one side. I don't think we go too far into the plane of action too often. It would also make sense as to why it's almost this one set. Yeah, I think. I'm, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question worth finding an answer out to. Well, hopefully Max Gale will get back to us pretty soon and we'll be able to talk to him about it. Or Hal Linden. What's he up to? None of us are up to anything right now. So maybe stop reading books for Disney or whatever you're doing and, you know, come talk about the show that made you famous. Well, Chris, thank you for speaking about Barney Miller for another month. And I'm very curious, what are you up to over at the Culture Cast, sir? Uh, just doing Jess Byer June. So we're talking Ken Russell movies. Uh, Ken Russell, not something that I'm too familiar with. So this is a kind of a crash course for me in Ken Russell movies, but I'm looking forward to it. Some, uh, some interesting picks from, uh, Jess. So that's kind of what we're doing for June. You can also find me on our true crime, supernatural slash paranormal horror culture podcast called Scary Stories We Tell. It's pretty much unlike anything I've ever had anything to do with podcast wise, but that's okay because sometimes you got to shake it up. So that's uh, that's what I'm up to. You can find me on Twitter at Casualty underscore Chris. What about you, Mike? What's going on over at the Projection booth? June uh, is an interesting month. We are doing just a real grab bag of stuff. This, the Magic Garden of Stanley Sweetheart, Viva La Muerte, Pink Narcissist, and Can Dialectics Break Bricks. Try to find a theme. I dare you. 
I was about to say, I don't know if there is one. I don't think there is one either. It's just movies that we've been wanting to talk about or I've been wanting to talk about. So there we go. And yeah, you can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com. Special thanks to John Walker for doing our theme. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review and some stars. That would be fantastic, preferably five. And we will catch you next time at the 12th.